This week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly one million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending out invoices or a side hustle Etsy shop or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. Listeners, all you'll need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment needed. Within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere. And you'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or just drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Really cut the confusion out of shipping. With Stamps.com's new Rate Advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. You can save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code POD, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There's no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in POD. That's Stamps.com, promo code P-O-D. That's Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now loading horrifying coma. Error. Rebooting systems. Warning systems corrupted. Horror protocols installed. Now time to end the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, TV, and more. Preparing our listeners for ritualistic sacrifice in three, two, one. We are the Amazing Nerd Show, and this is Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week, Horror Month marches on as we count down our all-time favorite witch films. Also, Christian's got a review for James Bond, No Time to Die. That's right. Plus, we're going to be talking the Friday Night Wars as AEW and WWE will be counter-programming each other. But man, before we even start all that, you checked out a brand new series, right? That's right. I saw the first episode of Chucky. Everywhere Jake Wheeler goes, death seems to follow. This creepy doll just creeps me the hell out. It's kill or be killed. Everybody's gotta choose. What's going on with you? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. Chucky. So yeah, I saw the first episode of Chucky, uh, the new series helmed by original creator Don Mancini, and I thought it was a really solid first episode with a lot of promise. Uh, It takes place in the small town where Chucky actually grew up, uh, and then we meet this middle school outcast, Jake, who finds a good guy dial at a yard sale, and he takes it home to use it in his art. Apparently, he uses a lot of doll parts uh, to create his work, and honestly, it's pretty fucking creepy. Uh, his home life seems rough. His mom has passed away and his dad's raising Jake on his own. Uh, they're struggling financially and his dad drinks a lot and is just having a hard time accepting the fact that Jake is gay. Uh, Jake is also getting bullied at school and he just doesn't have many friends. And that's where Chucky comes in. Uh, not to give away too many spoilers, but Jake discovers the truth about the doll when Chucky reveals himself to Jake and, you know, takes control of a situation. And probably not the way that you would think. Uh, you're really just kind of left questioning whether or not Chucky's doing this out of sympathy or it's because he just likes to screw with people. And it might actually be a mix of both. Also, since, you know, the story takes place where Chucky grew up, I'm sure we're going to be exploring parallels between Jake and Chucky to get some insight to Chucky when he was younger and kind of what made Chucky turn out the way he did and to see if Jake is on that same path. I mean, I could be wrong, but at least that's where I think the series is going. Also, the show really takes its time to get going, um, and it's much more like serious in tone than I was really expecting, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, we're talking a 10-episode season with each episode being 45 minutes long. So, I mean, you definitely have to pace yourself. But really, I think the most important thing I got out of this episode is that this series feels like Chucky to me. Like, it feels like a child's play movie, which is a big deal. And that's what I think longtime fans want. So they took their time telling their story and really, like, establishing characters like Jake 
to get you invested in them. Uh, they also introduced a lot of interesting subplots, and the cast all seems really strong. And that's what the series really needs if it's going to work. I honestly kind of liked that they made you wait for Chucky to actually show up. Um, that anticipation made it even a bigger deal when he does like appear finally in like his true form on screen. So like I enjoy Chucky. I've seen all the films, but I've never been like the biggest fan if that makes any sense. But I'm going to recommend this. Uh, I'll do a full review once the series is over. Uh, but it's playing right now on the USA Network on Tuesday nights and I believe also on the Sci-Fi Network. So definitely go check it out all right but before we move on make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and while you're at it give us a five-star review and dm us a screenshot not only will we read it on the show but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions well it looks like guardians of the galaxy volume 3 has casted its adam warlock so yes, according to Deadline, Will Poulter will be taking on the role of Adam Warlock in Guardians 3. Uh, the actor's best known for his role in The Maze Runner and all of its sequels. Uh, he also had parts in Black Mirror, uh, Bandersnatch, and he was in The Millers and Midsummer. So the arrival of the character was teased in the uh, post credit scenes for Guardians Volume 2. So other than that, really the only further details we have is that Guardians is set to arrive in theaters May 5th, 2023. Christian, are you excited for the debut of Adam Warlock? Eh, uh, sure, I guess. <laughs> I think I'm with you. I was never uh -huh. really a big fan of the character in the comic books. I mean, he's a huge part of, like, you know, the initial Infinity Gauntlet uh, storyline and Infinity War and all of the, you know, event sequels after that. But I just, I never really got into him. At one point, he was the leader of the Infinity Watch, um, where, like, him and a group, uh, which was made out of, I think it was, like, Gamora, Pip the Troll, and Drax, uh, were all in charge of, like, watching different Infinity Stones. Uh, but I don't know. After that, I could just really take or leave the character. He really just doesn't do much for me. But really, like, all I know of that character is what I read, like, during that time frame. I don't really go deep with Adam Warlock. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's an awesome character. You know, he just, I don't know. He never really did it for me. On the other end, Will Poulter. Um, every time I see him in a different role, he's doing something completely different than I've seen him in anything else. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he brings to this character. Yeah, I agree. Like, so much so, like, until the news came out that he was playing Adam Warlock, I never put two two together that he's like in the Millers and also in Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> like in my mind, those are two separate actors. So, uh, which is weird because he's got such a like, you know, distinct, like, you know, face. Uh, but yeah, no, same dude, I guess. I will say I trust James Gunn to like make me like this character because I've said it in the past. I would have said the exact same thing about Adam Warlock that I would about like Guardians of the Galaxy. You know from the comics so yes. i think the only character i really knew was like drax and you know rocket raccoon and there's no way you know you know from reading those comics i would ever expect or think that i want to see a film based on those characters so you know in james gunn we trust so up next we've got rumors for more mcu spinoffs coming to disney plus so yes, after last week's news came out that Katherine Hahn's Agatha from WandaVision was getting her own spinoff, uh, two more shows have been rumored uh, for supporting characters in the MCU in the form of Tiana Paris's Monica Rambeau, aka Spectrum, and Menger Zhang's uh, Zai Ling, who plays Shang-Chi's sister, the new leader of the Ten Rings. And I apologize if I just butchered the actress's name. Uh, the rumors are coming from professional scooper Daniel Reitman, uh, also known as Daniel R.B. K. Uh, this is just a rumor, so please take them with a grain of salt, as always. Well, Damon, I want to start a rumor of my own, and I think <laughs> I think it's going to be Spectrum going up against the Ten Rings. Oh, that'd be cool if it was like yes. the same series. So we know we're going to see Spectrum in Marvel's the Captain Marvel sequel. Wait, is she going by Spectrum or is she going by Photon? I don't think they said in the actual show, but I have a feeling she's going to go by Photon. I'm just getting confused because in the comic book, she goes by like five different names. So uh -huh. she's actually, <laughs> she goes by Captain Marvel at one point. So 
Um, that's actually how I was introduced to the character. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I think Photon probably would make more sense because that's her mom's nickname in mm. the MCU, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so I she's probably going to go by Photon. But anyway, uh, but we know that she's going to be in the Marvel, uh, the Captain Marvel sequel. So it'd be kind of cool if they do some kind of like legwork and lead into like this series, this hypothetical series that like just came out of your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I would love to see that. That'd be awesome. And I mean, really both characters like warrant their own story and I'm sure there's plenty different directions they could go with them so all i'm saying is you heard it here first if it happens all right your regular uh, daniel reitman huh yes <laughs> just pulling rumors out of your ass now <laughs> i gotta say the end of shang chi got me really excited to see like xiling's story play out yeah i'm curious what they'll do because I, I couldn't tell if she's gonna go straight villain route with it or what she wants to do with that kind of company i mean it, it'll definitely be some underground shit so i it's cool to see the underground of marvel yeah I, i'm guessing it's gonna be like shades of gray where it's like kind of a struggle uh, for her like more you know moral wise you know uh, exactly what path she wants to follow but i mean if it's true i'm definitely you know looking forward to it we also got a report of bill murray joining the mcu so yes, uh, the rumor is that Murray has joined the cast of Ant-Man 3. Uh, this comes from Cosmic Circus, who says a recent casting list posted on Mandy.com uh, listed uh, one John Townsend, who has been hired to work as a photo double for Murray on Dust Bunny, the production name for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, the specifics for the role is currently unknown. Uh, the film will be released February 17th, 2023. I really hope he plays like the live action form of Jarvis. I think that'd be awesome. Oh, I didn't even think about now, that. I know we've <laughs> seen a live action version of Jarvis in Agent Carter, but I don't even know if that's in continuity anymore. But I mean, the character could be like a distant relative or something like that or a cousin or, you know, whatever. I would just love to see Murray playing that kind of support character. I feel like it's a role we've never seen Murray really play, that of, like, kind of a, you know, servant. Um, uh -huh. And just, like, you know, the guy who literally, like, holds the Avengers together, um, in the comics at least. So um, I think he could do a lot with that character. And to think all I thought was, you know, an old man fight between Michael Douglas and Bill Murray, so. <laughs> Michael Douglas would kick the shit out of fucking Bill Murray. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. Michael Douglas just seems like a mean old man to me. I don't oh, know. Uh. <laughs> I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but he just feels like the dude who, like, hangs out on his porch and, like, yells at kids for, like, stepping on his lawn. So, I don't know, man. Um, I, I'm sure Murray would put up a fight, but yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I got Michael well, Douglas we, on this one. We know where to put your money down now if that happens, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I could see him also, like, voicing Bill Murray, like, voicing one of the ants. Yeah. Do the ants they have voices? In the, voice. in it? No, they don't have voices, right, in Ant-Man? No, but okay. they could so do that. <laughs> That feels like something, you know, the Ant-Man films would do. Yeah. You know, give the fucking ants voices. <laughs> I mean, if they could play the drums, right, they could talk. Exactly. I don't want to hear that's, what an ant thinks, yeah. but... <laughs> I don't feel like that's much of a stretch if they're playing the fucking drums. So, yeah, I mean, tons of Marvel news this week. Uh, and that's pretty much all we've got. Uh, there was that whole, like, Tom Holland story about him possibly not playing Spider-Man uh, after uh, No Way Home. I feel like that's just a sexy headline that people are reading way too much into. Uh, like, I kind of understand what Holland's saying. He's basically saying, like, they wanted to, like, you know, wrap up the character's arc in this trilogy. Um, and, you know, that way, if he doesn't come back to the role, you know, that story is done. But he's going to come back to the role. Like, they're going to bring back Spider-Man, like, in, you know, the MCU. So I, I don't know, I, I, once again, or it's just like a negotiation ploy on his part to, you know, stir up talks <laughs> <laughs> and get fans behind him. Because I don't know when his contract's up with the MCU, but we already know that he's going to be doing some sort of like crossover event with Venom. Yeah, exactly. That was all but like confirmed by Andy Serkis uh, this past week. So we know, I mean, come on. I mean, he seems to love playing Spider-Man. And if you read the article, like... He goes on to say, like, if we do another one of these movies, you know, it's got to be drastically different. It's got to be separate from, like, you know, the whole home, you know, trilogy, the homecoming trilogy, I think he calls it. So, which only makes sense. 
that's fine. It, it's the end of a trilogy. Yeah, we, we can right? start a new arc. It's it's great. <laughs> and they could stop thinking of these stupid fucking names that oh, evolve yes. home in them. <laughs> and at this point, if Feige were to show up at anyone's door with a script, is are you saying no? Like, is that a, is that a possible no. option there? I'm sure his agent whispered in like his ear and said, "Listen, just kind of leave this out here, dangle uh-huh. it." <laughs> so when we do get to like renegotiating, you know, we'll have a whole like you know fan outcry to point to and say, "Hey, they love the kid as Spider-Man, right? <laughs> Give them all the money." Which Marvel's going to. So anyway, I wasn't going to talk about that story, but we just did. So whatever. Uh, but yeah. Hardly any DC news, but I'm sure they're just kind of gearing up for DC fandom, which takes place this weekend. I'm sure that's going to be huge, and we'll be covering all the news that comes out of the events in next week's episode. But to continue on this week's episode, we got a trailer that came out this week. Yeah, we got our first trailer for the brand new Scream film. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Something about this one just feels different. All right, Christian. So this is the first Scream film not directed by Wes Craven. So it's pretty weird. Uh, this is actually going to be done by the guys who uh, did Ready or Not, the two directors. I can't think of their names right now, and I'm not looking them up. Uh, but <laughs> I enjoyed Ready or Not, so I'm excited to see what their take on screen looks like. Uh, I feel like the opening scene here for the trailer felt kind of like, I don't know, old hat to me. Uh, it's nothing that we haven't seen before. Uh, you know, we got another girl alone in her house being stalked by Ghostface. Um, it feels definitely like the probably opening to the movie. Uh-huh. Um, but they did, the directors did come out saying that the trailer has a lot of like misdirection going on in it. So the fact that they even like let that clue out tells you that, you know, maybe I mean, maybe this is another case of it being like a film within the film. Like, but we've seen that also before, too. So Mm. I did like her reaction to the landline ringing, which is like the same reaction everyone has when their landline rings. That of horror, like who the hell is calling me on my landline? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even have one Well, I I finally got rid of mine a couple years ago. Because literally we had the ringer off because the only people that would call a landline was like telemarketers. But I'm an old person. So like I just have this fear of like cell phones just stop like working one day or something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about screw. I felt like overall the trailer's tone was darker than the previous Scream films, which I did enjoy. There just seemed to be like a sense of dread like throughout and that could, you know, I mean, these trailers aren't edited by the directors. That should just been like, you know, whoever put this together. Um, it looks like Ghostface is stalking a brand new, like, group of kids. Um, Dewey reaches out to Sydney, lets her know that it's happening again. Uh, and Sydney, of course, is prepared as always. Uh, I'm still a little disappointed that this isn't just a straight, like, remake or reboot. Um, I'm just kind of over watching like the exploits of, you know, Sydney, Gale and Dewey. You know, I, I yeah. don't know. Like, and I feel like the fact that their refusal to kill off those three characters have kind of weighed down the last couple of sequels. Because um, I, I honestly, I feel like the only sequel I really enjoyed was the second one. So I definitely felt like, you know, the, the franchise needed a fresh start. So I was a little disappointed that that's not what it's getting here. But who knows, maybe this is a good jumping off point, you know, for a new start for the franchise, if that makes any sense. Um, And maybe this will play as a swan song, you know, for that original cast. Um, Yeah, but I'm I'm tired of those types of like soft reboots at this point, you know, because they keep doing that where it's reimagining (laughs) reimaginings as they want to whatever the studio term is. Yeah. Uh huh. It, it just becomes that same repeat of like, oh, well, you know, the only thing interesting we have in this sequel is we're killing off all the original characters to bring you these new characters. And I'm like, eh, I would whatever. Be, just give me a you know start. I kind of want to see them all die. <laughs> Maybe I'm sick, but 
You know, like, I would be fine, honestly, if the original cast, like, dies in, like, one of the opening scenes. And then that's how we kind of, like, pass the torch. That would be a huge moment. And maybe that would piss off a lot of, like, hardcore Scream fans. Um, and I consider myself a Scream fan, but I'm more of a just a fan of the original. For me, that's the only way I'm going to get really excited, you know, watching this movie. Like, knowing that this is a real fresh start like we're starting new now the trailer shows you that that's probably not going to be the case at all yeah <laughs> but maybe that's kind of the deception that the directors are talking about um but or just my wishful thinking so um but i do feel like the tone of this trailer is darker so maybe it is kind of foreshadowing we're gonna actually see some motherfuckers die in this one <laughs> some of the original cast at least I did like the twist, and it's just kind of like a brief line, but they mentioned that the killer's going after anyone related to, like, you know, any of the ghost face killers from the past. Um, so that's a different take we've never seen before. And that really tells me that this is probably someone who's had a loved one be a victim to, like, ghost face at some point, um, that they're kind of on this, like, vengeance spree. Or just another twisted, you know, fucked up person <laughs> trying to make a name for themselves. But then would they want to go after Cindy and like their group? Like maybe they're not. Maybe that's like Sydney and the gang, you know, going after them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just involve themselves. But I mean, pure speculation. <laughs> I'm just hoping they bring something different to the table this time around. Mm -hmm. So I just recently rewatched part four. And I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I did initially. Um, it still kills me that they killed uh, the Kirby character. Because I thought she had a lot of potential to be like a new lead. Um, mm -hmm. You know, part I, part four has its moments. But once again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, thing of, you know, I wish the original characters weren't around kind of like bogging down the story. And that's just kind of my main fear for this. That's what we've been talking about for the last, what, it feels like two years of talking about Scream's next sequel. <laughs> no, yeah, no. But that goes for every movie coming out uh -huh. right now. So. <laughs> I mean, God, we've been talking about the next James Bond film for, what, like, three years at least? <laughs> yes, and I'm so glad we're, it, it's finally out. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, regardless of all my complaining, just like all the other sequels, I'll probably be seeing this still opening weekend. So <laughs> I think another issue I've had with kind of the series of films is I've never really cared about any of the killers besides Stu and Billy, you know, the original two. They were like by far the most interesting and all the rest have really just been like, you know, rehash like copycats kind of like doing the same old shtick. Um, it'd be cool to see them like kind of update Ghostface a little and give them some new tricks because these are all different people, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like give them like their own kind of flair or personality or like fighting style, like something like so I could like, you know, tell these killers apart. Because honestly, no. like I said, after Stu and, you know, uh, Billy, like... I can't even name the other killers. <laughs> you know, I know like Billy's mom is involved. We got like uh, Aunt Janky, right? <laughs> She's one mm -hmm. of the killers. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is like one of the killers, but that's part two after that. I don't know. They're all kind of like a dime a dozen. It would add to the longevity of it because it's pretty much like, oh, you know, what's this killer going to bring to the table? What's this killer going to do to like change up the series a little bit more? And, they would, you know, it's just the adventures of Cindy, you know, taking on yeah. all these different killers. Like if they had their own like signature style or something yeah. like that, or they I agree with maybe that. even update the mask a little. So right before like uh, Scream 4 came out, and I'm going to go into toy talk, so I apologize. Uh, NECA put out a ghost face figure that had this like kind of distressed mask that was like really worn and like grimy. I was really hoping we'd see that in the film. But then, you know, we we ended up getting the same old like ghost face mask. And I know mm -hmm. that might like that kind of update might upset like you know fans of the series. But that happens all the time in all the popular, like, slasher, like, you know, franchises. 
You know, Michael never wears the same fucking mask half the time. Every fucking like effects person (laughs) has their own version of that mask that they want to do. Uh, most of them end up sucking, unfortunately, compared to the original. <laughs> but I mean, and like Freddy's look is was constantly updated. Same with Jason. Jesus Christ, Jason always looks different. Um, it's just smart marketing, right? You know, that way you can sell more toys. So I, I would just love to see them do some kind of like different take on like the look of Ghostface, and you know, I mean, give them a different like modus operandi. Like I don't think that's going to hurt the character. If anything, you know, it's going to make for a better film. Well, I hope you've said your prayers or prepared some protection magic as it's time for this week's Horror Month Countdown. This time out, we're talking our favorite witch films. Damon, what makes witches so horrifying? So witch films in horror have a rich storied history. The witch is a character throughout the genre who deviates outside the confines of society's norms. Enticed by power, fearing no man or god, they feast on our paranoia, and when wrongfully or rightfully persecuted for their dark path, their thirst for vengeance is like none other. Throughout the history of cinema, they have served as a strong metaphor for womanhood and female empowerment. Liberated from a life of objectification and religious oppression, the films can act as a dark fantasy about breaking social constructs. But regardless of the many different messages the movies throughout the years have spoke, the one common ground is an atmosphere of dread that seeps from every frame, making the witch subgenre one of the scariest in horror. All right, so once again, just a reminder, these are our favorite witch films. If they're not yours, that's cool. If you want, you can go ahead and let us know some of your favorites. Uh, you can find us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show, and we're pretty much on all the normal platforms. Also, one other side note, something that weighed kind of heavy into our rankings are the film's merits as a witch film, meaning that if this was just a top horror film list, the rankings would probably be different. So without further delay, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, Once again, uh, this was supposed to be a top five list, but it was just too difficult for us to just pick five films. Uh, So we're going to do top 10, but we're going to speed through 10 through six. Number 10, The Lords of Salem. One of Rob Zombie's strongest films, visually stunning with a unique creative story. This is Zombie stretching his wings as a director, something I just wish he would do more of. Number 9, Drag Me to Hell. An underappreciated Sam Raimi film that's filled with fun moments and just a hilarious morality tale about the importance of doing the right thing. Number 8, The Craft. The modernization of the witch film, told through the perspective of how hard it is to be a teenage girl in society, and just a real-time capsule of 90s goodness. Number 7, 2018's Suspiria. Really the template on how a good remake should be done, they brought something fresh and new to the original concept aesthetically and story-wise, and it really pays off. Also, the Black Sabbath scene at the end of the film is just one of my favorite moments in horror over the past decade. Number 6, The Conjuring. I think over the years, people forgot that like at the heart of The Conjuring is an evil spirit of a witch who's just fucking terrifying. I mean, just the fact alone that she vomits her essence into someone's mouth to possess them was really enough to give me sleepless nights. And now the top five witch films. Number five, The Blair Witch Project. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry, because it is my fault, because it was my project. The Blair Witch takes the old adage, less is more, to the extreme. Never in the history of cinema has twigs and sticks been so fucking scary. For better or worse, a true pioneer for not only bringing found footage filmmaking to the forefront of the genre, but for also masterfully utilizing the internet in its marketing campaign. The movie's website treated the film like a true documentary, and some walked in the theaters really believing that to be the case. But the film's success is more than just a website's clever deception. What it really hinges on is the Blair Witch's ability to tap into the root of fear. It's not really about what you see, instead it's about the theater of the mind. 
we follow a documentary crew who's seeking answers about the legend of the Blair Witch and experience their journey to terror firsthand. There's no special effects or score, just three kids and a camcorder. And that's why the film works. This is a minimalist approach to filmmaking that makes the film feel more authentic, more real. You become lost in the woods with the crew and the witch is every rustling leaf or breaking branch around you. Then throughout the movie, the suspense slowly tightens its grip on you until you're left gasping for air during the film's chaotic finale. And then you're left asking yourself, what the hell did I just witness? Number four, the witch. Oh God, my Lord, and now begin, oh help me and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant thou shall be, from evil I will turn to thee. None ever shall destroy my faith, for I repentant thou shall be. Oh God, my Lord, and now begin, oh help me and I'll leave my sin. For I repentant thou shall be, from evil I will turn to thee. I was a little late to the work of Robert Eggers, but after seeing The Lighthouse and hearing Damon's praises of Eggers 2015 film, The Witch, I had to check it out for myself. This 1600s New England tale will bring out the paranoia in you as you watch a family rip itself apart. While the film is called The Witch and the horrors of this family experience are caused by a witch, it's mostly their own actions and choices that bring upon their demise. As when trust gets thrown out the window, the house begins to cave. Everything from the family's performances to the cold, clouded days of the New England location are utilized to slowly eat away at you and make you feel the tension the family is going through. The dread and suspense can reach unbearable levels as this film just gets darker and darker every minute, making this a truly haunting witch tale on our list of favorites. Number 3. Rosemary's Baby Paramount Pictures presents Mia Farrow in a William Castle production, Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby is a slow burn masterpiece of paranoia. Mia Farrow playing Rosemary knows something's wrong with her pregnancy and suspects everyone around her of malicious intent. And her fears are more than justified because her struggling actor husband has sold her womb to a coven of witches and warlocks to finally get his big break. Then in a horrific scene, the satanic cult literally summons the devil to rape Rosemary in the name of giving Satan a son. What we watch next is Rosemary's downward spiral as she desperately searches for the truth as her world crumbles around her. Beautifully shot with one of the most haunting scores in horror history, Polanski gives the film an almost dreamlike quality that makes you actually question what you're seeing. Is it all real or is it in Rosemary's head? We do end up getting our answer though and one of the most chilling scenes in cinema history as Rosemary discovers the truth and she finds the coven celebrating the birth of her son, the Antichrist. And then in the final shot of the film, we see Rosemary cave into her motherly instincts and rock the baby for the first time. Number 2. Hereditary Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Tina! Don't you ever raise your voice to me! I am your mother! Raise your house! Mom, what's happening? Make it stop! Make it stop! I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. Ari Aster, with the casting of Tony Coilettes, gave me a horrifying experience that I may never forget and still haunts me to this day. Hereditary follows the Graham family after the loss of their sweet, sweet grandmother and follows this family of four down a depressingly tragic road that is unknowingly soaked in the works of a cult. And that's all I feel comfortable telling you about the story as the events need to be seen played out. The way Ari Aster filmed this movie is not only stunning, but painfully unnerving to watch, as every single shot was done with purpose. Not a single moment is wasted in this film cinematography. Again, this is another film on our list where it's not just the supernatural element that makes it a horrifying experience, but it's the use of sound and visuals just, you know, just off enough to tickle the hairs on your neck. And 
a story with events driven by realistic reactions and performances from the family that create truly a gut-wrenching experience. This is one of those movies that even though I think it's amazing, I need to be convinced to watch it again. But you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it though, it, it's a must. You gotta watch it. You gotta check it out at least once. And then you can, you know, never watch it again if you want, but you have to see it at least once. Number one, 1977 Suspiria. It's useless to try and explain it to you. You wouldn't understand. It all seems so absurd, so fantastic. All I can do is get away from as soon as possible. How come I never noticed that before? Susie, if they don't leave, where do they go? Dario Argento's Suspiria is one of the most influential horror films of all time. This technicolor nightmare feels like a dark twisted fairy tale come to life. An American ballerina travels to Germany to attend a highly regarded school of dance only to find out that it's run by a coven of witches. What ensues is a string of grisly graphic murders that causes an unnerving dichotomy against the film's bright Disney film-like color palette. It's both gorgeous and brutal at the same time. Head witch Helena Marcos feels like she's whispering in your ear throughout the film in the form of the band Goblin's iconic score, a score that dared to break all the rules as it pulsates through every scene elevating the terror to new heights. Argento shepherds us through his wonderland of the macabre with the aid of doe-eyed Susie, played by Jessica Harper, as we witness her fight tooth and nail to survive the coven's sinister plot. I mean, it's a true defining moment in horror. Suspiria is Argento's wickedly bizarre triumph and a film that's gone on to inspire countless numbers of artists inside and outside of the genre. I mean, it's a must watch for every horror fan, new and old alike, and it's one of my favorite films to revisit this time of year. And I highly recommend you do the same. Well, all right, make sure to join us next week as we talk our top horror characters of the squared circle. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Do you know what's spookier than seeing a black cat on Halloween? It's shaving your balls with anything other than Manscaped. When it comes to your blow-the-waist grooming, there's no need to carve your pumpkins this Halloween because Manscaped is here to upgrade your grooming experience. Go from a bite-sized candy bar to a king-sized candy bar and join the 2 million men worldwide by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20AMAZING. Christian, I know when I shave, I don't want my experience to be like a bloodbath from Psycho. That's why I saved the horror show for the big screen and I groomed with Manscaped. Have you ever tried to trim your balls and it turned into a Freddy film? Well, luckily Manscaped is here to save the day and make sure you're smelling fresh with their new refined body wash. Fellas, the ladies love their signature scent and it will scare away those vampires. Unlock your confidence with the Performance Package 4.0. Inside, you'll find the holy grail of men's grooming items. They made it easy for you to upgrade your grooming routine. It's a full moon out and the werewolf in your pants is howling. It's time to tackle that problem with the Lawnmower 4.0. Their finely tuned pube products feature a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is easily the greatest ball trimmer on the planet. Oh, did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? This trimmer is a shower essential. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker a total game changer to your men's hygiene arsenal. The Weed Whacker is a nose and ear hair trimmer that provides skin safe technology that help prevents nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Seal the deal with Manscaped's liquid formulations. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will make sure your pumpkins stay fresh. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Hey, Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. And if you're looking like Wolverine and haven't cut those nails recently, be sure to look into the Shears 2.0 Nail Kit. They also have a bunch of other life-changing products on their website, so be sure to check it out. That's right, listeners. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off plus free shipping when you use our code 20amazing at checkout on manscaped.com. Say trick-or-treat to your beautiful new Halloween with Manscaped. All right, Christian, so you saw a film this week. 
That's right, I saw James Bond, No Time to Die. Warning spoiler alert, minor spoilers for No Time to Die ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. Name? Bond. James Bond. So you're not dead. Hello Q, I've missed you. It's the most valuable asset this country has. If you feel yourself losing control, I'm not going to lose control. James, you gave up everything for her. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. James Bond has left active service, but his peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. This film is directed by Kari Joji Fukunaga and stars Daniel Craig. The Daniel Craig era of 007 has had great moments and some bad. While holding on to the classic tropes of Bond, most of these films have been willing to play around with his character in new and interesting ways that allowed this Bond to kind of grow throughout its overarching narrative. And as a final piece in this story, No Time to Die felt like the perfect cap to this version of the beloved MI6 agent. Director Fukunaga did a fantastic job of soaking this film in the lore of not only the established canon of Daniel Craig's Bond, but the several other Bonds that came before, while also being clearly heavily influenced by 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. All really just kind of diving into this more tragic side of Bond. You know, a man who can't love or trust anyone due to the nature of his life. The people he is close to either die or turn against him. And while Craig's Bond is still, you know, a hardened killer, you can see the nuances of this version's journey alive in Daniel Craig's performance. Rather than just being an action hero, you can get emotionally invested in this Bond, which I know for some diehard fans may be a put off, but for me, I think it resulted in a much more memorable experience. While Bond is of course the star, the supporting cast also killed it and were written to all be these enjoyable characters. So much so that personally I wouldn't mind seeing spin-offs of like Lashana Lynch's 00 adventures. Plus for the short time Anna DeArmas was on screen, those action sequences made me believe she would make for an amazing actor in either Marvel or DC. You know, while she's already been, you know, part of these big films like Blade Runner and Knives Out, I think this could be an actual like breakout role for her. But on to the villain, which might be my only kind of negative for this film. I I don't know how to feel about Rami Malek's uh, Safin. He was plenty unique and a bit more deadly of a character than previous Bond villains, but I come to expect a little more charisma and I know Malik is capable of that, so I'm not sure if they just like missed out on his potential as an actor, but in no means was he a bad character in this. I guess I was just hoping for more out of this performance. When it came to the camera work and effects, everything was shot beautifully as always with the Craig Bond films, they've always looked so good. But unfortunately, this film doesn't have as many like crazy nice locations other than maybe like the first setting that we're in. But hey, I was kind of more interested in the story than the scenery, so it is what it is. The CGI this time on the stunt doubles was definitely better than some of the you know previous iterations that I've seen them try. Sometimes it really does just look like they scanned you know Daniel Craig's face and put it on a guy, but this time it looked a little bit more blended all together and a little bit more realistic. It was also hidden much better in the action sequences. There weren't as many scenes where you could clearly see the like weird pasting of the face. But beyond that, the action sequences were on point. It's just a little bit less than probably what you would expect out of your typical Bond film. But what we did get wasn't a shaky mess. Still looking at you, Snake Eyes, be fucking better. <laughs> Anyways, for the grade, No Time to Die gets an A-. minus. The relationships, the character developments, the action were all excellent. I think I would have just gone a slightly different direction with the villain, maybe, or just made him a little bit more Bond-esque, you know, like maniacally evil. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. 
Damon, if you're like me, you're constantly on the lookout for the best teeth whitening option on the market. Well, this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliant, has provided us with five important facts to keep in mind. Fact number one, teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. It removes the stains and restores the tooth to its natural color. Natural colors vary per person, but for most, it's an off-white or slightly yellowish undertone. Fact number two, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them. When dehydrated, the pores in the enamel are open and exposed. Open pores invite acids and sugars, which we all know lead to tooth decay. Avoid or minimize acidic and sugary substances for at least 24 hours after whitening. Also avoid staining substances. The teeth are more susceptible to restaining during this period. Fact number three, tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth dehydration. When the pores of the enamel are open, the teeth become dehydrated, exposing the nerve to the elements. As the tooth rehydrates, the sensitivity will dissipate. To accelerate the rehydration and curb sensitivity, use a post-whitening application known as remillerization or desensitizing gel. Fact number four, Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they do not have pores for the stains to latch onto. Prior to having dental work, you should whiten your teeth, restoring them to their natural color as the dentist will be color matching to your current shade. Fact five, the key to teeth whitening is the delivery device. So long as a whitening product is a peroxide based whitener, it will remove the stains. What differentiates one product from the next is the device that holds the whitening agent to the tooth without interruption. You know, whitening strips neglect the crevices and molars and they slide on your teeth. Saliva will flood the generic trays because they are bulky and don't create an actual seal. Oh, and you like likely did not know this, but LED lights are novelty items that add no benefits. You need a high output UV light only found at the dentist. Don't fall for the you know gimmick. If you insist on a light that does not work, get one on Amazon for $5. The number one whitening device recommended by dentists is the custom fitted tray. You can have a dentist make your trays for $300 to $600, or you can head over to smilebrilliant.com and use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price you would pay at a dentist. Oh, and if you grind your teeth at night, you can also purchase a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard. Once again, for a fraction of the price you would spend at a dentist. That's right. Make sure you head over to Smile Brilliant and use our promo code NERD. That spells nerd for an exclusive amazing nerd show discount. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use our coupon code NERD for an exclusive amazing nerd show discount. And remember, guys, don't be an idiot. Smile Brilliant. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. Welcome back to Christian's Corner, where we dive into what's going on in the gaming world. This past week, Nintendo blew up with news of their new subscription plan. Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack, which is a god-awful mouthful to say, was announced during their Animal Crossing Direct event. This new deal includes N64 and Sega Genesis games, along with the new paid DLC for Animal Crossing Happy Home Paradise, for a price of $49.99 per year, or $79.99 for the shared family membership, of course. Plus, don't forget, you're still still getting all the things that came with the 1999 version, giving you the ability to play multiplayer on games from you know the NES and SNES and cloud saves, which I think will have a really awesome functionality when it comes to these N64 and Sega Genesis games that you definitely weren't able to save in the middle of. While this is a lot of content Nintendo is bringing to its online service with a promise of much more, Nintendo fans have been you know 50-50 with this announcement, as the pricing is more than double its original to be able to play below it N64 and Sega Genesis titles. And I don't know if it's good or bad that the monthly prices haven't been announced yet, and I could actually see myself being more frustrated with this news if I was more of a Nintendo fan at this point, especially with services like Game Pass that are ever expanding and not raising their price, uh, well, knock on wood. Nintendo has a unique library that damn near every gamer has nostalgia for, so, you know, granting them access to these games
games for a steep price may be a bold but brilliant move for Nintendo. However, I'm not sure how much interest young gamers who don't have a history with N64 era, let alone NES and SNES era games, or if they'll be interested in paying $49.99 to get access to any of that. I won't lie, they're great perks. I'm just curious how much Nintendo's user base is clamoring for them at this point. And also, of course, with the announcement of being able to play N64 and Genesis games, they also began the pre-orders for the console's wireless controllers, pricing both the N64 and Genesis models at $49.99 as well. Personally, I would love to play some old Nintendo games, but like I said, I don't, I just don't know how much the younger generation um, at this point, you know, I'm, I'm actually starting to get old now, which sucks, but I don't know how much they want to play um, the old Zelda games and the old, you know, Mario games, especially with how much graphics has changed and stuff like that. Um, I just don't know their interest level. And I'd actually be curious to see those numbers to see if they have any type of information on that. Um, but, you know, I personally would love to get on to stream and play you guys some like old Nintendo games. So maybe I'll look into this. Maybe I'll see if like I can borrow my girlfriend's Switch or something like that. Who knows? But anyway, you can catch The Amazing Nerd Show live every weekend at around 12 noon central time on Twitch to get even more gaming goodness from our show. Definitely check us out if you can. All right, Christian. So we're running out of time this week. It's already three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's a shoot. So we're exhausted. And this week there wasn't a dynamite and we're both not watching Raw anymore. So there's not tons of wrestling to talk about. <laughs> but regardless of that, the war is definitely heating up between WWE and AEW. Uh, we found out this past week that WWE plans on going head-to-head -head against AEW's Rampage on Friday. Uh, I guess they are preempted over on FS1, but they decided to add an extra half-hour commercial-free that would mm. actually... Yeah, <laughs> right? That will actually go up against Rampage. Um, and there's no real reason to do this other than hurt Rampage's ratings. I don't care what any WWE drones are saying right now. Uh, and I, listen, I consider myself a WWE fan, so, but I know Vince's MO, and this is totally, you know, probably trying to get back at them for just, you know, the Variety um, article that came out this past week, and then them basically ruining NXT. Which, I mean, they really have no one else to blame but themselves for that one. So mm -hmm. no one forced them to put, you know, NXT up against Dynamite. So that commercial-free half-hour that's going to be going up against Rampage is actually going to feature a match between Sasha and Becky, which is just huge. They have Brock Lesnar on the show, and then they've got the, the King of the Ring tournament going on. I believe we're going to see Finn versus Sami Zayn. And then we've also got the Queen's Crown tournament, you know, happening. Uh, which I have no clue what's happening in that. It sounds like the matches have only been like a minute and a half, two minutes long. I was like, yeah. why, why even do it at that point? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Uh, you're just going through the motions. And that's even more insulting than just not having a Queen of the Ring or whatever the hell they're calling it tournament. So, um, but anyway, uh, on the flip side of things, I gotta say, I wish Tony Khan would just shut his fucking mouth. <laughs> because <laughs> once this was announced he jumped on twitter right away and was like i look forward to like you know finally beating your like a show you know going head to head and like i was like dude stop it you know i mean you're poking a bear and if you lose you're making yourself look even worse so like just you know like don't worry about what they're doing just worry about what you're doing you know put on your best show um, but with that being said, I feel like they haven't been doing that with Rampage lately. I feel I, I know that they say Rampage is another A show, but I feel like it's really being booked as a B show. I mean, I know mm -hmm. we've had a lot of like CM Punk matches, but it's all against like younger talent and there's not tons of storyline going on there. They're just kind of like matches for, you know, matches sake. And I feel like it's time for Punk to finally get into an actual program here. 
um, get like a story behind like, you know, you know, some kind of feud or give us a reason why these matches are going on. Like we had a little bit of that with Hobbs, but then that just kind of went nowhere afterwards. So um, hopefully that changes sooner than later. But the show itself just hasn't felt that important. Like you haven't been giving us cards that are must watch. And the ratings reflect that. I mean, this past week they did a record low rating for the show. Mm. And I mean, all the wrestling shows have been doing lower ratings because they've been up against tons of like sports competition. I mean, this was low, even factoring that in. So, I mean, obviously something's wrong here. I mean, it's a tough time slot. I mean, they're going on like nine o'clock central Friday nights. A lot of their audience are younger and everything. Um, So a lot of people are going out, you know, if you don't give them a must see show, then I mean, it's just going to be a DVR watch, really. You know, you got to give them a reason why they have to like tune in. Now, that being said, later on in the week, we found out that Rampage is doing a buy in for Rampage (laughs) over on YouTube (laughs) and they're featuring fucking Daniel Bryan versus Suzuki like an absolute dream match. Also, we got Bobby Fish going up against Lee Moriarty, who's got a huge buzz behind him right now. I would be surprised if AEW doesn't sign him eventually, or if they maybe they've already signed him. I don't know. And also, just like tonight, they announced uh, Ty Conte will be uh, facing off against Sant- Santina? Santana Garrett. She was uh, part of NXT just a short while ago. Oh, okay. So, um, actually, a, a person I thought they were really like high on, but. You know, apparently that doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, my problem with this is like one, like I just I feel like a YouTube show is not going to really do anything. It's not going to put a dent in SmackDown's ratings because it's a YouTube show and people know that they can watch YouTube at any point. Um, Some hardcore fans are probably going to tune in to see, you know, Suzuki versus Daniel Bryan, like, you know, us, uh, (laughs) you know, live. But, I mean, a lot of people are going to be like, okay, well, I can watch that after, you know, both shows. So, um, and I just don't understand why aren't you putting Daniel Bryan and Suzuki on the main card for Rampage? <laughs> like, Not you have sure. this power. Like, <laughs> 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 like, I feel like that's how you open the show, you know? Like, that's the biggest match by far of the night. And I don't think anyone's feelings would be hurt if their matches got, you know, switched with you know brian danielson and suzuki right i mean i think everyone can understand that that's a a dream match for most people (laughs) i feel like that's your best chance of getting people to flip channels you know over to rampage you know during smackdown (laughs) so and then smackdown also after their show ends fs1 is actually just doing a replay right away of smackdown Ooh. So they're really not going unopposed at all during that hour. Now, the main Rampage card uh, is featuring CM Punk versus Matt Seidel. I'm guessing that's probably opening up the show. It feels like that's mm-hmm. been like CM Punk's role right now to open up Rampage. Then we got Ruby Soho versus The Bunny. And then we have the Inner Circle uh, versus uh, American Top Team, which is, I believe it's going to be the men of the year and, and Junior Dos Santos, Dos Santos. I don't know how to say his name. So, um, Dos Santos? what do you, I mean, what do you think? Do you open up with Punk or do you open up with the uh, inner circle match? You probably open up with Punk. I think more people are going to. You don't think it's becoming old hat at this point? Because Jericho pops I, ratings and it's an think, actual feud. Think, true. I don't know. It's just been what they've been doing. So I guess I assume that they would do punk first. But you know first. what? It's not working. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but it's not working. So, um, and it's not punk's fault. Like, I, I've enjoyed mm-hmm. all the matches he's had. It's just like, there's no heat behind them. Um, I think I'd maybe try something different and start off with the Jericho match. You know, people love Chris Jericho. And a lot of, like, WWE fans, like, hardcore WWE fans will be willing to tune in, you know, for Jericho, seeing Jericho. Not that they wouldn't for CM Punk, but I feel like they've seen that match in the past. But anyway, regardless, I really don't see how AEW can walk away with the win here. I hope I'm wrong. You know, just kind of, you know, to shove it in Vince's face, honestly. Uh. Um, And honestly, like, I feel like it's going to lead to better booking in WWE. 
you know, at least eventually that's the hope, right? That competition, you know, brings out creativity. But, you know, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, we did get a big E, you know, title win. So, I mean, that's huge. You know, I'm glad that they finally pulled the trigger. And I feel like part of that is because of, you know, the war that they're in right now for ratings. Uh, but I, I do feel like, you know, there is a problem with Rampage. You know, and I, like I enjoy the show for the most part. I just need more storylines coming out of it. And I need them to mm-hmm. make Rampage feel like a must. And I need them to make Rampage feel like must watch. And at this point, it just doesn't it doesn't feel that way. It's, it definitely feels like the B show to me. Like, I mean, how are you feeling about Rampage? No, I agree. It feels like a higher produced version of what they're doing with Dark and Elevation half the time, which I mean, it it still has great matches. I'm still wanting to tune in every single week. But yeah, they're not doing anything to really build stories on that show, which is what it should be. It should be, you know, this place where we have all this extra talent to, you know, push and you know show off uh while we have dynamite showing off maybe our more main event stars it's yeah it feels like all the angles are taking place on dynamite and you're just kind of getting like the aftermath of you know some stuff that happened on dynamite you know and then like some of them are just matches for matches sake you know exactly like uh the comment i keep seeing on almost every single aew cm punk post is that you know he he doesn't feel like the old punk because he's not in that kind of like blood feud he's not angry at anything he's just there having so much fun and which was great when it first started but we as we've been saying on the show he needs to get into something serious we're two months in Uh, it's just yeah (laughs) you know the welcome back tour is over and we need to move on and get him involved in storylines I agree mm-hmm. 100%. So, um, but I feel like it's just almost across the board, too, with AEW right now. It's like after the pay-per-view, they kind of like reset the table, but I feel like they haven't like capitalized on like new storylines. You know, we do have like the MJF Darby Allen thing going right now. That's brand new. But like besides that, I mean, what what else is happening? We have a little feud going on between, you know, the Super Click and, you know, Jurassic Express and Christian. But there's not for me, there's like not much heat there. It just seems to be like a feud that's happening, you know, for a feud's sake. Um, And then we have like, you know, the return of Adam Page that happened last week. Um, But that just happened. So even like the Daniel Bryan, Kenny Omega thing. Like, I feel like that's lost steam a little. Like, one thing that I noticed last week when they had their big, you know, what was it, like a six-man tag or an eight-man tag? Mm. Like, there wasn't enough, like, moments between Omega and, uh, you know, Brian Danielson. Like, you know, there should have been a moment where it seemed like Brian Danielson, like, was about to pin Omega or, you know, got, like, cheated out and win or have Brian Danielson actually pin him in the tag match. You know, like add some heat to that feud um but maybe they knew that they were going to be pivoting you know to adam page and that's why they haven't done that uh so well yeah i wanted to ask like do you think you know we're at this you know the reason that a lot of this stuff is just kind of slowly building it now is just because we've been waiting for adam page's return yes i think that's part of it i think also they had this big influx of new talent and that kind of like Mm -hmm. stifled other storylines uh so like tony khan is kind of stuck like you know reshuffling the deck if you will you know trying to figure out where he's gonna go next and then we saw like his whole like pay-per-view lineup got leaked (laughs) did you see that where like he was i guess he had like some kind of notepad on the sidelines at a jaguars Uh game and someone like focused in and it was literally what looks like to be the card for uh full gear I guess we're supposed to be getting uh, Adam Page and Omega, which is no big surprise. Christian uh, versus Adam Cole. Uh, Jurassic Express versus the Young Bucks. And John Moxley versus Brian Danielson, which is a really interesting match. I'm guessing that's spinning out of the, I forget what they call it, like a qualifier tournament, whatever they're doing. They're putting on some big tournaments, which is fine. I love a tournament. Apparently everyone else hates them, but <laughs> I love tournaments like that. Uh, and it's a good way to introduce more like contenders for Omega. And I guess storyline wise, it makes sense, you know, for Danielson to win that tournament. So he, then he has a reason to be like challenging 
Omega, you know, or Adam Page if he ends up winning at the pay-per-view, which I, I feel like is going to end up happening. So, I mean, maybe we just need to be more patient, but it just feels like AEW is kind of like treading water right now. You know, and they can't just coast on these big names that they signed. Like, you need to, you know, keep mm-hmm. the show hot. Now, now oh, ticket-wise, they're doing fantastic. And they're, it seems like a lot of their events are actually outselling WWE uh, when they go to the same, like, you know, uh, territories. So, I mean, that's great news. And usually that's kind of a precursor to, like, an eventual ratings bump. So we'll see if that happens. But they definitely have, you know, the hot hand. I just don't want to see them waste it. So, and I feel like, you know, like openly like challenging you know, WWE like this could be a bit of a misstep. But Tony Khan has been doing this throughout. So maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe this is the formula <laughs> and maybe this is a way to rally the troops. I mean, like I said, I hope they end up, you know, you know, sticking its events this weekend just in the name of competition once again. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see people being like, oh, this is the moment where we all have to tune in to this show to make it, you know, be bigger. But it's a lot of I, I think it's going to take an actual an event before they actually break you know, ratings over WWE like that. Yeah, I think it's just more about worrying about yourself, staying in your lane, mm. putting on the best show you can put on. Can't be focused on what the other guy's doing on the other channel. But at the same time. You know, make Rampage feel like it's a must-watch show, you know? Um, And it just feels like they just don't know exactly what direction to take that, like, hour at this point. Um, And I I get, like, wanting to keep it, like, action-packed, but it does feel like they're a little hesitant to put on, like, you know, big main event matches, you know, besides Omega versus Christian on Rampage because they know that the audience is going to naturally be smaller because of the time slot. You know, I think that's backwards, you know, thinking because if you put on those big matches over there, people will eventually start tuning in. But at the same time, it's easy for us to say because it's not our money. So, uh-huh. uh, But anyway, that's going to do it for this week. But anyway, that's going to do it for right now. I mean, I got to be up in like three hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go to bed. Uh, but before we head out, make sure to check us out next week as Horror Month enters the ring with us. Because next week we're going to be counting down our favorite horror gimmicks of all time. Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, Christian, you can't kill the boogeyman. Michael Myers is back, so we're going to be reviewing Halloween Kills. That's right, and Horror Month does a run-in during our wrestling segment as we count down our favorite horror gimmicks of all time. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.